We are continuing our series called God's Master Plan. We're on part four, and uh, we've covered all kinds of fun stuff. And again, today is going to be quite the deal. This is uh, this is number three through fire and brimstone for me. So I'm starting to feel like I need a I need a grace and a kindness sermon here. I'll probably listen to something on the internet that's more about faith and encouragement and stuff. But uh, there's certain realities that we need to be aware of. And we're not going to hide those realities. We're going to look at them and be thankful that we have a way of escaping the wrath of God. So here's the recap so far where we've gotten in our series called God's Master Plan. First question, what is God trying to do? Very important question. If we don't know what God's trying to do, we're not going to understand what's going on. What is God trying to do? There's a specific answer to that question, and here's the answer. God is trying to establish His kingdom. He's trying to establish His kingdom. Now, the reason it's difficult is because He doesn't want a kingdom of puppets. He doesn't want a kingdom of robots. He doesn't want a kingdom of just inanimate objects. He wants a kingdom full of intelligent, creative, free-willed beings made in His image. And the problem with intelligent, creative, free-willed beings is that they have a tendency to use their intelligence and their creativity and their free will to do stupid stuff and cause problems. Right? And so that's no good. They create pain. They create hurt. They create problems. And that's called sin. That's not cooperating with the kingdom of God, but going a different way. And uh, so God has done many different things to establish His kingdom. And again, I believe that all these different things weren't like, well, let's try this. Oh, that didn't work. Let's try this. But God is showing us through history that it's only through Christ that the kingdom will be established. It's the only way. Why not just create heaven? You know, just skip this mess and create heaven. Well, God did that, created the angels, and a third of the angels along with Satan rebelled against God and there was war in heaven. Have you thought, wouldn't it be great to go to heaven where everything's wonderful? There was war in heaven. That's horrifying to me. So how well did that work? It was a mess. Okay, how about we, instead of taking the risk in heaven, let's create another place, take the risk over there, and just start really small, real simple, make it easy. Um, That's Adam and Eve. How'd that go? Eh, not so great. One rule, they broke it. So that didn't go so well. Have you ever thought, why doesn't God just get rid of the bad guys? If He's so awesome... Why doesn't he just get rid of the bad guys and then things will be much better? Well, that's Noah's flood. He got rid of the bad guys. Did that take care of all the problems? No. Okay, so then he said, okay, I'm not going to kill all the bad guys. How about instead of killing the bad guys, we just make the A-team. You know, we take the good guys and we bring them together and we create an awesome kingdom with them. That's Abraham. Greatest man of faith. Build a kingdom around him. How'd that go? Ugh. More messes. They're trying to walk by faith, but they mess it up. They end up slaves in Egypt and uh, not really following God the right ways. So then it's just like, well, why not then, instead of making them figure this faith thing out, just tell them what to do. You know, come on. Well, that's Moses. We got the law. Now, okay, tell them what to do. How'd that go? Slipped into legalism, caused all kinds of problems. Just mess, 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 mess. And then we got to the plan of redemption. And that's, you know, what we celebrate at Christmas, the birth of Christ, 
the Savior born in a manger, the Lamb of God, the opportunity for a sacrifice to be made once for all so that the sinner, so that the bad guy is redeemed and turned into a good guy. So instead of killing the bad guys, instead of excluding the bad guys, redeem the bad guys and build the kingdom around those who have been redeemed. Hallelujah. Redeem the creative, intelligent, free-willed beings made in God's image instead of excluding or destroying them. I like the plan of redemption. It's awesome. And it is the final trump card in this whole thing. The plan of redemption is the way the kingdom is established. Last week we talked about your job in this whole God's master plan thing. And your job is to follow Christ. Thomas was willing to ask Jesus, okay now, you say we know the way to where you're going. We want to go to your kingdom. We want to be part of what you're a part of, but we don't know how to get there. And he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. He said, you have to follow me to get to the Father. And so our job is to follow Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to follow Christ into a relationship with our Heavenly Father. We're to love God with all of who we, who we are. We follow Him into that. We follow Him into living a righteous life. Being one of the good guys. You know, you mess up, you get forgiven, you become one of the good guys. You do right. Jesus did right. We follow Him into that. And we follow Jesus into purpose. Into a meaningful life. Not just living another day and getting through it but having a life of significance, having a life of meaning. Did Jesus have a meaningful life? 33 years, He changed the world. We follow Him into a meaningful life. And then I left you last week with this wonderful logical statement, um, which if you, if you go with this, I've got you for the rest of the sermon. Okay, So make sure, if, if you agree with this, the hooks are in. Either you follow Christ or else you are not following Christ. What do you what do you think? Either you follow Christ or else you are not following Christ. You with me? All right, then I got you. The hooks are in. Let's pray. We'll get into the new stuff. Heavenly Father, I thank you. For your holy scriptures, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you, Father, that you don't just leave us here to wander around, do the best we can, but you guide us by your spirit and you guide us by your word. Guide us through this time now as we as we look into some difficult, heavy things. Just guide us through it. Help us to grab hold of your truth and help us to know the love that you have. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So today, some fire and brimstone. Never supposed to do fire and brimstone on cold days. It can get them thinking the wrong thoughts. But here we go. What happens if we do follow Christ? Because we need to, we need to compare and contrast. What happens if we actually follow Christ? If we receive Christ, if we follow Him, He gives us the right to become children of God. And then if we were a child of God, we get Romans 8, 17. If we're a child of God, then we're an heir. And we're co-heirs with Christ. This is the promise. If we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Except there's a comma instead of a period. 
Wouldn't that period would be nice, right? It's a comma up there and it says, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So what Paul is saying in Romans 8 is, if we follow Christ, we are heirs. We follow Christ into everything, into purposeful living, which will sometimes be sacrificial. But if we follow Christ, we follow him into being a child of God. We follow him into being an heir, a co-heir with Christ. What is Christ an heir of? He's an heir of the kingdom. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And this calls us co-heirs with Christ. Hallelujah. Is it good to follow Christ? Yeah. Might this turn out okay for us? Yeah. <laughs> this, is a, this is a magnificent inheritance. It will turn out okay. What if we don't follow Christ? Either you follow Christ or else you're not following Christ. What if you don't? Well, that's what we talk about today. But first, I just want to say I'm a nice guy, right? I just want people to be happy. I'm not, you know, some people have inner pain and they want to make sure that other people have inner pain too. So they just smack people and stuff like that. I I just, I like people. I like you. I want us all to be happy. I want everybody to go to heaven. That would be sweet. But certain things are real. And we need to grab hold of them. I'm going to talk about two common mistakes with fire and brimstone sermons that I'm going to try to avoid today. Mistake number one is what I consider to be spiritual terrorism. And that's where... I yell all kinds of scary things to you to try to shake you up and get you to do what I want you to do. Spiritual terrorism is not okay. That's speaking words of violence in order to shake you and get you to do, you know, basically to gain control, to manipulate. That's not okay. I'm not meaning to do that, but sometimes there are realities that are scary. We need to know those realities. We need to grab hold of them. So spiritual terrorism is something I want to avoid. And that's a foul spirit behind what's being said. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that I think is very, very common is that fire and brimstone sermons are often way too focused on the individual's sinfulness. Too focused on the individual being a bad person. Did you know you can be a good person, a very nice person, a conscientious person? You can help old ladies across the street. You can fix people's flat tires. You can never tell a lie and go to hell. Did you know that? You don't have to be a bad guy to go to hell. So focusing on how horrible a person you are and trying to hammer that home over and over and over again because we look at ourselves and we know oh, we're not that bad. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, okay, disqualified, sure. But I'm not a horrible. We're fearfully and wonderfully made. We're made in the image of God. We're awesome. Jesus loves us. And he does that because we're cool. We're great, you know? But yeah, we'd mess stuff up. But we're not these horrible, sick freaks. You know what I mean? Like, if it's based on that, we're kind of in trouble. People are cool. People are awesome. But guess what? You don't have to be the sickest, most disgusting human being in the history of the world to go to hell. Good, nice, kind, helpful people can be condemned because either you follow Christ 
or else you're not following Christ. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. Either you follow Christ or else you're not following Christ. So, how do we fix these mistakes of spiritual terrorism or hyper-focus on personal sin? Um, well, you don't fix it by painting God as an enabler. Right? God is not our spiritual enabler. The enabler is the one where you've got the person who messes everything up and then you've got the person who fixes everything. Right? That's The enabler is the one who fixes everything. The user is the one who messes everything up. And so they're trying to sabotage everything and you're trying to fix everything. Then you're the enabler. Well, let them crash and burn. Now you're not the enabler. Good for you. They can heal and learn their lessons, hopefully, if it hasn't been too ingrained. Um, but then don't take them, let them take you down with them. So don't be the enabler. God is not an enabler. He gives us an opportunity, but He's not going to fix every mess. We have an opportunity to be redeemed. We can take it and follow Christ. Or we cannot follow Christ. And if we don't follow Christ, we're not following Christ. So we're not going to paint Jesus as an enabler because I feel bad about people doing spiritual terrorism or really trying to tell everybody they're horrible monster people when they're just normal human beings. Um, we're not going to go into enabling. We're just going to look at the situation and find out what the truth is. So let's go to the parable of the Minas, Luke 19. The parable of the Minas. So let's get a grasp of this. This is Jesus talking. We're going to do all our fire and brimstone in the New Testament. We're not going to go Old Testament. Uh, at the end, we'll do some Old Testament for some encouragement. But until then, we're going to be New Testament fire and brimstone. All right? So this is Jesus telling a parable to people. And here we get it. Luke 19, starting in verse 11. While they were listening to this, the this they were listening to was Jesus talking to Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus? He was the example we used as the plan of redemption. Here's Zacchaeus. He's a crooked businessman. He's ripping people off. He wants to connect with Jesus. Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go to your house and eat at your house. Then Zacchaeus says, you know what? I'm going to give away half my stuff. And if I've ripped anybody off, I'm going to pay him four times over. And so Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. Zacchaeus is redeemed. The plan of redemption is described right before this. And then Jesus goes into the parable of the Minas. And so here's where we get it. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the parable, uh, I'm sorry, and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. Who is this man of noble birth? What's he referring to? He's referring to himself. Jesus, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. He is on earth. They don't realize who he is. A few people believe, but not very many, but he is going to be proclaimed king. And so then he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until they come back. So who are these people that he gives minas to? Those are the subjects, the, the, the disciples, the ones who believe in him, right? And so he says, I got some work for you to do while I'm gone. Is there work for us to do before Jesus returns? Yes, there is work for us to do. It's very important that we are about our Father's business, that we are doing that work. But it continues, verse 14. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man 
to be our king. So what's this talking about? If Jesus is your Lord and Jesus says jump, you say... If Jesus is your Lord and He says jump and you say, oh, come on, we don't really need to jump, do we? I mean, seriously, that's kind of like old school. We don't have to jump, right? If Jesus says, love your neighbor, and we go, oh, come on. I just want to go somewhere where I like the music. And Jesus says, forgive, and you say, oh, you, I'm not forgiving them for that. These are the people who know about the king, but who don't want to do what the king says. Right? These are the ones, they sent a delegation. They understand he's going to be appointed king, and they're trying to stop it. They understand they're supposed to say how high, but they don't want to. And so they don't want him to be king. Might there be people who know that Jesus is Lord, but they just don't want to do what He says. They just don't want to follow Him. They just don't want Him to be king over them. Might there be people like that in our world? There are lots and lots and lots and lots of people like that. When Jesus says, forgive, and we say, no, what category does that put us in? Either you follow Christ, or else, you're not following Christ. So, we're going to pay attention to this group. His subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be king. We don't want to follow him. Verse 15. He was made king, however. Is Jesus king of kings and lord of lords? Does what you think or what I think have anything to do with that? No! I don't get to decide that. I have no power over who is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I have, I have nothing to do with that whatsoever. It's just the reality. Jesus was made King. He did rise from the dead. He has been seated at the right hand of the Father. He is King. He was made King, however, and returned home. Then He sent for the servants to whom He had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, here's why He was first in line, Sir, your mina has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. So far, so good. The second came and said, Sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. So, so far, so good, right? Do we know how to get a positive response? Yeah, put your mina to work. Right? If you're a believer and you've been given some tools, put those tools to work. Very important. We've got... A certain amount of time, we need to be at work. So, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and you reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have it collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has ten minas. Sir, they said, he already has ten. 
He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. That's harsh enough, isn't it? What about this group of people that sent the delegation who understood who Jesus was, but they just didn't want to follow him? What about them? But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. That's Jesus saying that. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Enabler Jesus? Fix everything Jesus? Either you follow Christ or else you're not following Christ. That's pretty harsh, isn't it? That's why Jesus says things like what He says in uh, Matthew 10.28. Matthew 10.28 Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus is saying, you got people want to kill you? Big deal. How much can they really do? They can just kill you. <laughs> There's somebody else you should be afraid of. Let's look at that in Luke. Jesus says it a little bit differently in Luke 12. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has power to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you. Fear Him. It's pretty strong, right? It's pretty strong. Fear Him. Now, before we go any further, further let, me, uh, let me tell you, when I first became a Christian, I just thought it was horrible that everybody wasn't going to heaven. It was something that tortured me to the core of who I was. Um, to where, you know, I, I quit college. I basically was like, what difference does this make? This is terrible. And um, was devastated. I like the good news of the gospel. All right? I want people to be saved. I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want people to be destroyed. I don't want... I don't want this. And neither does Jesus. He doesn't want people to die. He doesn't want people to go to hell. He doesn't want that. How bad does He not want that? Bad enough that He was willing to go to the cross. Give people an opportunity to be set free from this wrath. Alright? So, we are to fear God according to these verses. Now, <clears throat> boy, there's a whole lot to this, but let me ask you this question. What is the greatest commandment? Love God with all you got, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, spirit, strength, your mind, your heart, mind, strength. Yeah, everything you got. I came up with five there. There's always only four. I don't know how I ended up with five. But love God with all you got, right? 
So what would the greatest sin be? Probably breaking the greatest commandment. Right? If the greatest commandment is to love God, what would the greatest sin be? Not the stuff we would normally list, right? But it would be to break the greatest commandment. What is the unforgivable sin? The unpardonable sin? Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is not loving God to its highest degree. And that gets you into unforgivable. Now, if you've ever worried that you have committed the unforgivable sin, you haven't. Because the judgment of committing the unforgivable sin is that you won't care anymore about if you've hurt God or if you're disconnected with God. You just won't care. Your conscience is seared and you're done. So if you care, you haven't done it. So that's good. So if you're worried about it, you're fine. So, praise God, right? That I've had so many people get so scared about that, and they're scared, so I'm like, well, good news, you're scared, so you're fine. You haven't done it. And it's a high-level sin. I mean, it's like a black belt-level sin. you got to absolutely know what you're doing. You're not going to accidentally step into blaspheming the Holy Spirit. You will know what you're doing. And so that is not loving God to its highest degree. We must love God. How do we love God? Jesus talks about how we love God in John 14, verse 15. Jesus says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Other translations, If you love me, obey what I command. Jesus ties loving God to obeying God. The greatest commandment is to love God. And His love language is obedience. And faith leads to obedience. If we are going to love God, we are going to obey God. Obedience means put your mina to work. All right, you ready for the big hammer blow? Here it's coming. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start with some good stuff. This is the following Jesus stuff. And then right after it is the not following Jesus stuff. And so we'll find out the difference between the two. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. Amen? And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Amen? Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why would this need to be said? Because we're going to need to encourage one another. We're going to need to spur one another on because this is a tough deal. This is a battle. And sometimes we get discouraged and we're going to need each other's help. So we're going to need to come together. We're going to need to meet together. We're going to need to help each other. Because sometimes we fall down. We need somebody to help pick us up. So that's what we're supposed to do. Here's if we don't follow Christ. Verse 26. Next verse. If we deliberately keep on sinning. So if we deliberately keep on sinning, what does that mean? I don't want you to be my king. You say jump, I say come on. Right? You say love your neighbor, I say 
You say forgive, I say, I really, I just don't think I can do that. Now let me tell you, you have to fight to forgive. It may take you years, okay? But when you give in to unforgiveness and you embrace unforgiveness and you are justified in your unforgiveness, that's where you're in trouble. Fight for it. When you get to the other side, however many years it may take, you will be set free. The freedom is good. Grab it. But don't embrace the unforgiveness. Don't embrace the bitterness. Don't embrace the darkness. You have to fight to forgive. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone... How's that? There's your fire and brimstone. No sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Is God an enabler? Is He just going to fix everything for everybody? No. He's going to take care of business. How does God interpret us rejecting the Lordship of Christ. When Jesus says, do this, and we say no, how does He interpret that? If we deliberately keep on sinning after we've received a knowledge of the truth, which is jump and we say no, how does He interpret that? There's three things described here at the top of this in verse 29 of how God interprets it when we reject what He shows us to do. How much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? So if he says, forgive, and we say no, he interprets that as trampling the Son of God underfoot. Is that okay? No. Look at the next one. Treat as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him. To treat as an unholy thing that's also translated common or unclean. It's to disrespect the blood of the covenant. It could even be, in its extreme, you could say to defile the blood of the covenant. Because the blood is there to sanctify us. To bring us into alignment with the will of God. And we reject it by deliberately keeping on sinning. We defile the blood of Christ. And who has insulted the Spirit of grace. Are you glad for the grace of God? When we deliberately sin, we insult God's grace. He shows kindness to us, and we insult it. Who's holding the cards in the relationship between us and God? 
Let me just, I mean, who's holding the cards? Who's got the, who's got the power in this relationship? God has all the power. He's the one in charge. We, we have no say. We just have to take what He gives us, right? Turns out He's good. And He likes us. That's awesome. And He's gracious. But we have to receive that grace and honor that grace or we insult it. So, how severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified Him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? Well, enough for this to say it is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We don't want to find ourselves in that situation. We're going to close. Are you getting this? You getting it? Are you getting motivated? Come on. Because this is serious business. We don't get to play around with God. You know, in church culture, it's kind of like, let's just give the soft gospel and the good news and everything's going to be happy and whatever. Well, this is not a coping mechanism. This is a development of the kingdom of God. We're going to get in on the kingdom. It's a great kingdom to be in on. But we have to submit to the king. Then we get to be part of it. If we won't, we don't get to. We're out. So, Either you follow Christ or you're not following Christ. The only way to the Father is through Christ by following Him. Let's read. I'm going to, let's, let's, um, take communion. We have an opportunity this morning. Ushers, come on and, uh, come on up and we're going to hand out the communion elements. Um, <clears throat> we have an opportunity this morning to treat as a holy thing the blood of the covenant that has sanctified us. Amen? So if it's a problem to treat the blood as an unholy thing, what we should do is treat the blood of the covenant as a holy thing. When we take communion, we um, we have the opportunity to really honor the living God. And at Good Hope, if you want to take communion, go ahead and take communion. But let's treat this as a holy thing. If you don't want to, just pass. The ushers are good about that sort of thing. But uh, we don't check anything about you. If you want to take communion, go ahead. But um, Here's our communion scripture that we're going to look at from Ezekiel. Go to the Old Testament. Ezekiel 33.11 says this, Say to them, As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Is the living God just looking for a dog He can kick? And so He made us so He can beat us up. Not at all. He loves us. He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He doesn't want people to go to hell. He doesn't want people to be lost. Jesus showed how serious this is by dying on the cross. 
He was so interested, so moved with compassion that he was willing to take the punishment himself so that people could be set free. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. But He wants us to turn. He wants us to repent. And Jesus has made a way for us to turn. To go from caught in the middle of our sins to being free. And we need to treat that sacrifice as a holy thing. We need to honor what He's done. We need to respect, reverence, and worship the living God. So let's let's um, pray together as we receive communion this morning. But let's treat as a holy thing the blood of the covenant that has sanctified us. Heavenly Father, we thank You for making the way of redemption. We thank You, Lord, for opening the door to heaven for us. Lord, whoever we are, whatever we've done, whatever we've been through, we know Your blood is sufficient for us to be set free. Praise You, Lord, for that. We thank You, Father, for Your grace and mercy. We thank You, Lord, for what You've done, that You have freed us from the coming wrath when we trust in You. Let's partake together. This is the body of Christ which was broken for you. Praise you, Lord. And this is the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Praise you, Lord. We honor you. We give you thanks. You are good. You are kind. You are merciful. We just give you praise. I'm going to invite the prayer team forward. I think it's me and Corey. We're the prayer team today. And so, we're going to open up for a personal prayer in the front here. Um, But let's just pray together and close the service first. Heavenly Father, we give you praise. We honor you. I thank you, Lord, for your grace and mercy. I pray a blessing over each one of us in this place. Lord, I pray your hand would be upon us. Lord, that your light would shine in us. That wherever we go, your truth may go forth. Your light may shine. Your kindness, your mercy, your graciousness may be shown to this world. So bless us, give us strength, and encourage us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you need some personal prayer, come on down. Me and Corey will pray for you. If you want to understand how to be sure you're in the kingdom of God, we'll help you with that. If you have any other need, physical need, relational need, whatever, we'll pray with you. Come on down. Otherwise, you're dismissed. Say hi to somebody you don't know and encourage them in the Lord today.